You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A fool's house for Thanksgiving. Google finds that nation-state phishing continues at its customary high levels. Death Ransom, the low-end ransomware that didn't actually encrypt files, has now begun to do so. The Stantinko botnet adds crypto mining functionality. Microsoft reflects on Dexfot and the sophistication it brings to ordinary malware. Supply chain security rules are coming to the U.S., a lawsuit in Tel Aviv, and some final notes on Black Friday. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, November 27, 2019. Security firm Risk IQ has offered an updated warning about a recently discovered cybercriminal outfit they've called Full's House. The gang operates in two ways credential and private information phishing, and then skimming or phishing pay cards during e commerce checkouts. Their goal is Full's that is, pay card information plus extensive associated PII. Phishing is a common nation-state tactic as well. Google, which tracks more than 270 government-run groups operating on behalf of about 50 countries, reports that between July and September it issued more than 12,000 warnings to victims in 149 countries, as close to everywhere as makes little difference. Google notes that this is about the same warning rate, give or take 10%, they observed during the same period in 2017 and 2018. So the interests and levels of activity displayed by the world's intelligence services seem to be holding steady, at least insofar as this snapshot indicates. Bleeping Computer offers an account of a new strain of ransomware, Death Ransom, that's upped its game. When it first started out, Death Ransom wasn't an encrypting strain of ransomware at all. The earlier infestations researchers observed didn't really encrypt a victim's data, but merely appended a .wctc extension to affected files. If you simply stripped out the extension, the files became usable again. But Death Ransom last week began actually encrypting the files. Researchers see a possible connection, at least in terms of infection vectors, to stop ransomware, which has used adware as its way in. Researchers at the security firm ESET have found a crypto-jacking campaign that operates through YouTube videos' descriptive texts. The operators behind the Stantinko botnet have added some Monero mining functionality to their malware. Most of the victims of this crypto-jacking have been in Russia, Belarus, and Kazakhstan. Microsoft reflects on lessons learned from a year tracking the polymorphic Dexfot threat. 
In some, ordinary threats are showing increased sophistication. The goal of Dexfont may not be particularly sophisticated, since one of its more characteristic bits of functionality is crypto mining, but it's evasive, persistent, and hard to expel, and it's the kind of criminal threat that one sees on the digital main street. Francesca Spidalieri is a cybersecurity consultant at Hathaway Global Strategies and senior fellow of cyber leadership at the Pell Center from Salve Regina University in Rhode Island. We spoke recently about the challenges universities face keeping up with the pace of rapid advances in cybersecurity, as well as the role they play supporting their local community. A lot of the large data breaches we hear regularly on the headlines, usually we hear the big corporations, but it's really the small and medium uh, businesses that have the most to lose in the aftermath of a breach. So we decided to dedicate our time and research and effort in helping the community of small and medium-sized businesses and smaller organizations to better understand the cyber threats inherent to their um, organization and the context in which they operate. And we launched a series of programs from lectures and seminars and tabletop exercise. We do more in-depth research. Uh, we provide policy recommendation to both of those businesses that come and engage during our events, but also our congressional delegation has been part of the uh, Rhode Island Governor Cybersecurity Commission. So as a think tank, we engage on a variety of fora to provide expert information, thought leadership, policy recommendation, research, so it's really important to have that outreach that extends not only to the, the broader cybersecurity community, but to your local community as well. Absolutely. In fact, our local community is all welcome to attend our event. We try to raise awareness among senior leaders and decision makers, as well as other senior level people across society about not just the technical issues of cybersecurity, but also about the economic, political, regulatory challenges of operating in the digital age. I know you're involved with some of the graduate programs there and some of the coursework and so on. What is the challenge that you face in keeping that work current in uh, an area that's changing as rapidly as cybersecurity is? Well, thank you for that great question. First of all, I have to say that I'm very proud to work for a university that was among the first in the United States and certainly in the New England region to recognize that addressing cybersecurity required not just IT experts with computer science and software security skills, but also professionals with an understanding of the political context, institutional theory, behavioral psychology, ethics, law, economics, and other uh, sciences. So when we started including courses and seminars in the, in the curriculum at Salve, we thought about the issues as a multidisciplinary subject. And so we started adding courses in the Administration of Justice and Homeland Security Department. We added courses in the Business Department, more recently in the Healthcare Administration Department. And we try to keep those courses constantly up to date by, by engaging with those companies that need the professionals that often cannot find uh, in the broader community. You also work on the Rhode Island Joint Cyber Task Force. Can, can you give us an overview? What does that team set out to accomplish? 
Yes, so the Rhode Island State Police has a very capable computer crime unit that responds and investigates cybersecurity incidents and help uh, companies and organizations defend from cyber threats as much as they can. A few years back, they also established a joint cyber task force. This task force brings together members of the Rhode Island State Police uh, crime, crime Unit that I just mentioned, with individuals representing higher education, hospital, finance, utility, defense, the Rhode Island National Guard. And it provides a forum, uh, similarly to what we do at the Pell Center, to share information, provide analysis and update on cyber threats. Uh, but it's also a way for the organization to meet the first responders, the law enforcement officials that would be coming in if there was a major incident. Uh, the group also oversees educational initiatives, a tabletop exercise, they have a great cyber range. Uh, so there is a, a lot of different ways for the community to engage through these uh, joint cyber task force. Yeah, it's interesting to me how you mentioned sort of the breadth of programs uh, at the university that you have extended um, knowledge of cybersecurity into. And, and I think it really speaks to this need for a variety of viewpoints and perspectives within the field. What sort of recommendations do you have for folks who are looking to expand their level of education, either, either starting out in school or looking for a graduate program? What sort of mindset should they have coming into a program like yours? They have to understand that cybersecurity affects all of our organization, that every business today is a digital business, but not everybody needs to become a computer scientist or engineer. There needs to be a cyber component to most disciplines, and that's what we have been trying to do at South Virginia University. So while I understand it's very difficult sometimes to navigate the field because there is almost no clear career path or compensation structure when we say we want to work in cybersecurity, there are not generally accepted qualifications. There is really a lack of clarity about job description. So I first try to help students or mid-level career professionals that want to now pursue a career in cybersecurity to understand what is it they actually like to do. If they're more technical people, then I might recommend certain certification, whether it's to become a pen tester, a network analyst. But there are also a need for business professional, legal professional, law enforcement officials to understand the cyber context in which they operate. So Salve, for example, was the first university in the United States to make it a core requirement for all of our MBA students to take a cybersecurity course. Uh, when I designed that course, it's called Management of Cyber Opportunities and Threats. What we had in mind was to train that mid-level professional that needs to be able to talk to both the server room, the IT professional, but also the boardroom, the senior leaders. That we're not training computer science and engineering, but nonetheless need to make the most important decision within the organization about risk management, incident response, whether to fund or not certain projects that will affect the cybersecurity posture of the organization. That's Francesca Spidalieri from Salva Regina University. Following the direction provided this spring by Executive Order 13873, the U.S. Commerce Department has proposed rules for securing the IT and communications supply chain. That executive order gave the Secretary of Commerce a leading role in supply chain security with authority to prohibit or mitigate transactions that involve technology 
that was designed, developed, manufactured, or supplied by some person or entity owned by, controlled by, or subject to the direction of any foreign adversary. The goal of such restrictions and mitigations is to reduce the risk of sabotage or subversion of catastrophic effects on critical infrastructure or of risks to security or safety. A public comment period on the new procedures will open shortly. You will recall Facebook's recent filing of a lawsuit against lawful intercept vendor, spyware vendor if you prefer, NSO Group. Facebook alleges that NSO Group used some of Facebook's properties to distribute its surveillance tools. As it filed a lawsuit on behalf of its subsidiary WhatsApp, Facebook also suspended a number of NSO Group employees' individual personal Facebook and Instagram accounts. Those employees have now filed a countersuit against Facebook in Tel Aviv District Court, asking that the social network unblock them. They call the suspension collective punishment. It is, they say, a hurtful and unjust move by Facebook. Their resort to legal action, the employees say, comes only after Facebook ignored repeated requests they made directly to the company. Of course, it's the beginning of the big shopping season this Friday, Black Friday as we've oddly come to call it. Yesterday, we shared some of the online safety tips the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is offering. Security companies are also offering suggestions, and they come down to many of the same reminders. Keep your software up to date. Don't buy from dodgy sites. Beware of clicking links and email messages, and use multi-factor authentication. What kinds of purchases are likely to get you in trouble this time of year? Researchers at Kaspersky have been looking at what the crooks are up to, and are paying particular attention to the botnets that distribute Trojans. There's a great deal of spoofing going on, and the spoofing seems concentrated on clothing, jewelry, and toys. Close behind are brands associated with travel, hotels, ticket booking sites, even taxicab companies. So keep a sharp and skeptical eye out. And of course, a happy Thanksgiving to you all. We're taking the rest of the week off to spend with our friends and family. We'll see you back here next week. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. 
This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Daniel Prince. He's a senior lecturer in cybersecurity at Lancaster University. Daniel, it's always great to have you back. Um, we wanted to touch today on business innovation and cybersecurity. Uh, what do you have to share with us today? Uh, it's great to be back. Um, so at Lancaster, uh, I'm running a project which is really looking at how businesses can innovate their business practice through cyber innovation. Um, and I borrowed a concept uh, that we have in the, here in the UK around uh, from cybercrime, um, looking at two sides of that. So cyber enabled and cyber dependent cybercrime. Uh, and, and what we've got here is what I'm calling um, cyber enabled and cyber dependent uh, cyber innovation. Because what, for me, cybersecurity is one of the most innovative kind of IT disciplines out there at the moment. Uh, constantly having to try and reinvent the way that we defend, coming up with new technologies, um, both to actually pr like stop attackers, but also to try and actually build the best protection we can. Um, the, the attackers are certainly evolving, and, and so are we on our side. So what I'm doing is uh, with a group of people here at Lancaster and with three other universities uh, in the northwest based around uh, Manchester, um, Manchester Metropolitan University, the University of Manchester, and the University of Salford, is we're, we're running a program of support working with companies to really instill cyber innovation at the core, looking at how they can use um, cyber-enabled uh, innovation, so increased protection means that they can do things better and faster, or cyber-dependent innovation, so can they use new cryptographic techniques to provide tracking services for goods and products? Can they um, come up with new authentication mechanisms for smart um, door locks, things like this. Um, so really putting cyber innovation at the heart of the business rather than having it as something that sits uh, a lot, kind of almost alongside. And for me, that's one of the key things with just dealing with cybersecurity. And hopefully this will be part of the answer of putting cybersecurity at the core of the business. So really getting to the point where cybersecurity can even be a, a differentiator for businesses? Well, that's one of the key things that we talk to businesses about. How can you take the fact that you're doing all of this good work in cybersecurity and make that a market differentiator for your product, for your service, for your company? Because it's a crowded marketplace. And if we can use cybersecurity to really help that company to stand out from the crowd, that's certainly one, th one area that we can, uh, we can push on. But what we talk about within uh, the project, which we call the Cyber Foundry, is defend, innovate, and grow. So the first step has got to be about defense, so making sure the company's got the right kind of protections in place. Then how do we innovate using cybersecurity? And then how do we grow that company? So those are our kind of our three mantra keywords, if you like. And for the companies themselves, what kind of messaging do you imagine them putting out to their customers to, to put the word out that this is how they're doing things? So, it, again, it really depends on uh, what the company's trying to achieve. So, yeah, we can work with them to think about how that cybersecurity defense message is a key part of their sales technique, um, but also thinking about how that uh, the, the defense is a key part of their business strategy going forward. 
yes, it's a lot about marketing messages and making sure that everybody is aware of what they're doing. But also for some of the larger companies, it's about clear market signaling that they're taking cyber innovation seriously. So for some companies where they've got cyber innovation as a core part of their business strategy and being able to say that, it goes beyond marketing messages and actually tells people that they've got cybersecurity instilled in the core of their business. Hmm. All right. Well, Daniel Prince, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Thank you.